So maybe it could be helpful to just check in with yourself um, how you are right now as we begin because as you know the, the listening is um, as crucial to this exchange as whatever will be coming out of my mouth. So it can be beneficial to just check in and feel uh, what is present for you, how you are right now, so that there can be some awareness of that and some inclusion of that in, in the process of listening. And feeling free to, to make yourself comfortable for the listening also in, in whatever way would do that. And hopefully my voice will uh, will will last. Let's see, we might have to we might reach a cliffhanger. <laughs> you know, doubtful with the Dharma talk, but it's always possible. So we'll see. So, a lot of the time um, in Dharma practice, in Dharma teachings, uh, we really emphasize calmness, mindfulness, insight. Um, the process of calming the mind so that we can see clearly. That's a lot of the, of the emphasis in the teachings. Um, calming the mind so that we can see clearly what is actually present, just as I was just suggesting we do right now, a few moments ago, so that we can see clearly what is present, which allows us to understand our experience and ourselves and life more deeply. And that gives us more options, you know, that's always really important to remember, like why we're practicing, so that we have more, more possibilities. If we understand more deeply, if we see more clearly, we have many more possibilities of how to respond to phenomena, our own inner life, external things that arise, all of that. And so this, is, this emphasis on calmness, on mindfulness, on insight is really, really important. Really, really important. And um, especially important if we're interested in bringing an end to suffering. Now, our personal suffering and the suffering in the world. Um, as Nathan was saying um, in the previous talk, you know, it's each of us can feel where we are with our intentions, what our intention, intentions are to be more happy in ourselves, to live what more, um, with more well-being in ourselves, um, or, you know, or the way to complete liberation, whatever that means for each of us. Um, but for all of those, in, in equal measure, that emphasis is, is really important, it's really helpful to see clearly, to understand deeply, so that we can, um, we can live well, we can, we can make choices that lead to our happiness. So saying all of that, um, today I'd like to um, explore another um, or point to another aspect of our practice, another aspect of the teachings, um, which is very beautiful and very, very important, very helpful. And in the tradition, it's um, usually referred to as cultivation, cultivation, which is an agricultural metaphor cultivate, usually used to, in regard to cultivating the soil, to cultivate a crop. The, um, the word in Pali is bhavana, and it uh, literally means to bring into being. I really like that sense of bringing into being. It's like giving birth to or creating something or nourishing something, supporting. And what it is, what is it that we're cultivating? <laughs> You know, when we speak about cultivation, what does that mean? Cultivation of what? 
you know, what, what seeds are we sowing in the soil? So the cultivation is a cultivation of attitudes and qualities, attitudes and qualities that directly reduce suffering, directly reduce suffering both in ourselves and in others. And they do that through, um, through um, and really engendering well, well-being and calmness of heart and mind. So these are qualities and attitudes that deepen our practice, deepen our ability to see, deepen our ability to stay steady with experience through increasing the well-being, increasing the well-being of the, of the heart and mind, first of all, of ourselves. And if you've been listening to Dharma talks for a while, you'll know there's a lot of lists. Um, This isn't just because the Buddha liked lists, it's also because um, in his time, um, you know, people weren't sitting in the talks and taking notes. It was before there was a written word. And so the traditions were oral traditions, and it made it much easier for people to remember, to retain the teachings if they were giving in, given in lists. So this is an aside, but that's a lot of the reason why, why there's a lot of lists around in the Buddhist teachings. And there's several lists of specific qualities and attitudes that, that are helpful to cultivate, that are helpful to nourish in ourselves and support in our lives. Are kind of worth giving energy to. You know, that's another way we can speak about cultivation. What do we give our energy to? What do I give our, my energy to? And, and how can that be of benefit? How can that support and nourish me? How can that support and nourish what I value in the world? How can it support and nourish what I wish to see in the world, the kind of world I wish to live in? So, one of these lists of qualities and attitudes is um, the list of, of what are called the Ten Paramis. Um, and I'll say again, just a little aside, I like all these things, so you'll have to bear with me. There's ten of them in the Theravada tradition, which is the Buddhist tradition that comes mostly from Southeast Asia. There's six in the Mahayana tradition, which is um, Tibetan Buddhism, Vietnamese Buddhism, Chinese, Japanese, all those schools. And I I like that fact. It's interesting that the two traditions have different numbers of qualities um, in the the same list, the list of the paramis, the list of the perfections. The reason it's interesting is that it really points to the fact that the lists are there, the qualities are divided up to help us understand, remember, retain, explore. But they're not finite, you know. It's not like this is the list and that's it, yeah? They give us a taste, they give us a flavor. And all these qualities in each of these lists very much are in interconnection and interplay with each other. So the paramis are are usually translated, the common translation um, for them is the perfections, the ten perfections, a bit of a weird word. Um, But if we actually look at the Pali word and what it means, I find that more interesting. So the word, word parami, is actually very close to the word paramount in English. You know, something that is of, of, of real importance, something really important. Um, and if you look at the word parami with a, from, from the Pali dictionary, um, param, part of it, uh, means something that carries us to the other shore, like a boat or a raft, which is a metaphor for liberation. Yeah, so something that kind of carries us from the confused, reactive state that we're in to um, a place of well-being, of um, centeredness, of non-reactivity, or whichever, whatever way we see. Um, so they're kind of, we can see them as, as actual vehicles, these qualities. And I'll say what they are in a moment, and you can, I think you can get a flavor. Because we know them, you know, they're all qualities that we have, attitudes that we already have. So they're vehicles to, uh, that we can cultivate, that we can 
are developed to, to, to bring something, to bring us into a, a less reactive space or a more liberated space. And another play on parami, parama, is, is very close to paramount, like I already said. They're of foremost importance in specifically in formulating um, the purpose of one's life. So really central, you know, they have a real impact. If we cultivate them, they really have an impact on our lives and the kind of direction that our life goes in. You know, the direction that our life goes in. So they're very relevant, you know, both to the immediate, they're relevant to here and now, they're relevant to our lives moment to moment as they are. And they're also relevant um, for the journey. Yeah, if we see our spiritual path as a journey, they're relevant to the journey and they can be the vehicle for our transformation. So finally, the list. (laughs) Just speaking about it for a while. So the qualities, um, the ten, the ten paramis, the ten perfections are um, generosity, sila, which is um, ethics, morality. Um, Nathan was talking about in the previous talk. Patience, renunciation, um, truthfulness or honesty, determination or resolve. Um, energy or enthusiasm, wisdom, which includes insight in it, metta, so an attitude of friendliness and goodwill, and equanimity, that ability to um, hold things in balance. One of the translations of equanimity that I love the most, there's many translations for the Pali words, is there in the middleness. There in the middleness, you know, being there in the middle of the craziness of life, you know, the ups and downs, the pushes and pulls, the the joys and sorrows, and and having that steady point in the center. So it's not something that, um, just kind of staying with this quality a little bit, because often confuse equanimity as being something that is detached or disconnected. It's actually very, very much alive and very sensitive very present, so there in the middleness, in the midst of life. So I'll just say them again. I'm only going to speak about one of them tonight, so don't worry, we're not going to be here till the morning. Um, But just to kind of say them again, because um, each of them is very beautiful, and also again that each of them is dependent on the others. None of them exists separate from the other qualities. They all feed and support each other. They're like a network. So generosity, sila ethics, patience, effort or energy, enthusiasm, renunciation, maybe I said that already, I forgot. (laughs) Determination and resolve is one. Wisdom, metta and equanimity. Honesty and truthfulness, maybe I forgot. So today I'd like to um, talk more about generosity, which is the first of, of the paramis, the first of the perfections, and very, very, um, very much, very key to our exploration here, and very, very rich, if we're talking about cultivation, very fertile, rich ground for our practice and our exploration here of this form of practice that we're engaged in. And... Um, you know, dana, generosity, comes first in the list. And it's also often um, the way the Buddha used to begin his teachings. He often spoke about generosity first before he spoke about anything else. And together with sila, with ethics, these two are considered the foundations of, of practice, of any kind of practice, um, the foundations of a spiritual life. Really remembering that foundation here doesn't mean um, a preliminary step, you know, it doesn't mean that we do that and then we move on, but it's an ongoing exploration. And as Nathan was saying a few days ago when he was speaking about ethics, they, it's an exploration that can be our whole practice, it can be the whole path, you know, just that. It contains the whole path in it. 
so yeah there's there's so much around generosity and I'll I'll try and kind of um, kind of break it down into different areas or different perspectives and angles that we can have that we can look at so there's two ways that we can look at generosity um, practice or if we reflect on our experience and that we see how generosity plays through us, how it manifests through us. One way is um, when we feel very um, at ease, when we feel very spacious, when we feel very connected, um, then generosity is just a very natural flow. It's a very natural expression of something that's flowing through us. Um, You can say a natural expression of an open mind or an open heart. Just, it just flows through. It's often also effortless in that way. It doesn't take any effort. And there's often in those situations there also won't necessarily be a sense of a giver and a receiver. You know, there won't be a sense of I'm doing this because it's just flowing through. Just flowing through me. And when I was reflecting on this, I was remembering... Um, someone who was on on this retreat um, many years ago, I think maybe it was 2008 or 2009. And um, somewhere near the end of the retreat, he said, um, I think in one of the sharings, he said, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing much here, you know, because I'm getting up in the morning and and going to the meditation hall because I really want to do that, (laughs) you know. And then I'm kind of finishing breakfast and I'm going to the old men to massage them because I really want to do that, you know. And then in the afternoon after tea, I'm going to the carpentry because I really want to do that, you know. And, and I, I really, you know, I just really, that's really what I want to do. So I don't feel like I'm doing anything for anyone else. Yeah, it's just a real flow. And so that's, that's that flow that we're talking about, you know, when it's effortless, when it's natural, when it flows. The interesting thing in, in this example is, I've used this example so many times because I really love it, is that we, because it's so natural, because it flows, we don't see it as an act of generosity, even though the generosity is still there. You know, it's still there. The fact that there's no sense of a, a small eye around it is great, <laughs> you know, very helpful. But if we kind of then just think, oh, it's not me, um, I'm not doing this, I've got nothing to do with it, we're, we're kind of also overlooking our involvement, overlooking our participation to some degree. And also, um, sometimes, maybe not in this particular example, but missing out on, on the joy that can bring when we actually let ourselves feel that sense of flow, that sense of, um, of, of the giving that has no giver and no receiver in it. And so it can be really, really helpful to just let ourselves kind of bathe in it when it comes up, because what that does is that it nourishes generosity in us further. It nourishes that quality in us. It supports it. So not to kind of, not to kind of pass it over. The other, um, the other way that generosity, um, that we know generosity, that it, that we express it in our lives, in our practice, is. Um, when we undertake it, when we take it on as a practice or a commitment, even at times when that flow isn't there. Yeah, so it's not effortless. It's not just flowing through me. But I'm still, you know, taking on, I have that commitment to the practice of generosity or to showing up, you know, whatever way we frame it. And I'm sure, you know, most of us, if not all of us, have had moments like that here already. You know, that there's a, like, you know, I'd rather carry on this conversation at chai time or, you know, I'm really tired, you know, I'd rather do that or, you know, it, and, and we need that little kind of either a little or a larger kind of oomph to, to keep going, to stay steady with our, with our commitment, you know, with our deeper commitment. And so there's many, you know, there can be many examples of that, you know, if you use the day here again, just... You know, in the morning, maybe the alarm goes off and there's a real sense, oh, I'd rather stay in bed. And then having that commitment to come to the meditation, you know, because I know it's good for me, because I know it's good for others, 
you know, having that commitment, which is an act of generosity, you know, to ourselves and also to each other. And seeing what can support that, you know, sometimes reflecting on how the presence of others helps me to practice. So can I do that for them? Or from a selfish point of view, you know, knowing, okay, this is, you know, in 10 days I'll be meditating on my own again. (laughs) So making use of the opportunity to, to practice with others. But seeing what can nourish that, what can help. And so there's also many benefits to this practice. Like it falls into these two categories and it's important to see these two threads. And then also it's important to see and reflect on some of the benefits. And these are benefits that I feel the practice has, um, practice of generosity. You may, you may find that you have more, so feel free to, to add to the list. So the first benefit is that generosity is a practice that really helps us connect to others. Yeah, it doesn't, it can't happen in isolation, yeah? It needs that connection. It needs the awareness of the connection. So it really helps us connect to others. And it can also help us learn more about the nature of our relationships. You know, what what am I comfortable with in relationship to others? What am I comfortable with? It keeps our spiritual practice very much connected to others. It's not just something I do on the cushion. Yeah, something that needs engagement. I gave this example on the silent retreat already, but I I really love it. Um, A friend of mine who who told me how uh, when she suffers period of depression, she's realized that what can really help her snap out of it, if she catches it on time, is to go and do something for somebody else. And the words she used was, do an act of generosity. And that brings joy. And that helps her get out of that loop of depression. So that sense of connectivity, the generosity as a way, that something that really brings us into connection with each other. Another real benefit of the practice um, of generosity is that it really illuminates for us where we're closed off where we're fearful, um, where we're holding back. You know, all these things can really be, like the light really shines on them, which isn't always comfortable, but it's one of the reasons that we practice. You know, we want to see clearly. So this practice can really shine um, some light on that. And again, this is an example I use many times, but I I really love it. Um, I don't think, I don't think I used it in Somnat. Um, so I know Joe's heard it before. <laughs> I'm not sure how many others. Um, so this was um, happened to me in um, last March when I, we were teaching in, in Dharmalaya, which is a project in the Himalayas. And um, it was a silent retreat at the beginning, and it was very cold. It was really, really cold. Colder than it usually is. Um, and some people didn't have enough warm clothes. Um, I had a lot of warm clothes because I'm always afraid of being cold. Um, and I realized after a little while that I was having this inner dialogue in my head because, you know, I had two pairs of thermal leggings and I had a spare fleece. And I was actually keeping them because I was concerned that um, there'd be water shortage, which there sometimes is, and I wouldn't be able to wash <laughs> my warm clothes and so I wouldn't have a clean pair and I realized that that was what was holding me back from giving it to someone who was cold at that moment yeah so that intention to put generosity generosity can really show us you know where where am I fearful and holding back from something you know seeing it really clearly and when I saw it clearly I could actually um, move beyond it and actually give those warm clothes to to this person who was cold and the beautiful thing was that then every time that I'd see her wearing my fleece, not this one, the other one, same two that I have here, it would fill me with joy. You know, I'd see her wearing this fleece and I'd feel really joyful because generosity does that to us. It really brings joy, really, really brings joy in a very simple way. So in that way, it you know, it shows us where we're holding off. It shows us when we're closed off, where we're fearful. 
And it also um, connects us to what we actually have, connects to a sense of abundance. So the sense, just in this example, in, in this example that I was giving, the sense of not having enough, but actually I do have enough, you know. I've got two pairs of everything. I do have enough, but I feel like I haven't got enough. So it connects me to the abundance, yeah? Connects me to the fact that I have got enough. And when we explore this quality within us, we see that a lot of the time what stops us from acting in a generous way is a sense of either that I don't have enough or of not valuing what I have as good enough. You know, often that's underlying. It's what stops us acting. You know, I think, oh, that person's upset, but I don't know how to help them. You know, I think what I have isn't enough, so I don't reach out. And I think what I have isn't enough. So it's a real action, a sense of not enough, lack of self-worth inside. And when we act beyond that, you know, we both see it clearly and we find the way out of it. We find the way beyond it. So it connects us to a sense of abundance and often also to a sense of gratitude. So really important to remember, and again, it's very clear here in our days here that, you know, often when we speak about generosity, um, we, we tend to think um, of, the, of material things, you know, like the example with the clothes that I just gave. But of course, you know, generosity is really not limited to material things, you know, as we experience here every day. You know, we, we are generous in so many ways with our attention, yeah, giving our attention, with our kindness, um, with empathy, with receptivity, you know, with receiving <laughs> is a form of generosity also. I think over the last days, most of us have, have had this example of someone in the community giving us that mix, that brown mix of um, ground sesame seeds and sugar because of the, of, of the holiday that was a few days ago. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, I know for me, probably others have also had that experience, you really don't want it. <laughs> but we accept as a form of generosity. You know? It's a form of generosity to accept what is given. Because it get, feels good to give, as we've already said. So other forms of, of generosity, you know, really simple ones, the way we listen. The way we listen. You know, again, we've probably had this experience sometimes that someone is talking to us here and we don't understand what they're saying. You know, we don't understand the words, we don't understand what they're talking about, but we can still listen and give our attention and how that's often, most of the time, that's really enough. You know, they don't actually need us to understand enough so that we can formulate a response. Just the offering of the attention and the listening. So generosity can take many, many forms and it's really important to keep that open, you know, to keep that open, that kind of um, gaze open uh, around generosity um, and to really kind of bring that in as a thread to what we're doing. And to also bring that in, you know, bring it as a, pra- as a practice means also um, bringing it in as a question. You know, what would be the generous thing right now? You know, what would be the generous thing right now? As a question, it's a very powerful um, practice. It's a very powerful way of looking, to use the terminology we were using on the silent retreat. I think it was only yesterday, it feels like ages ago, um, I was, Lily and I were in the, in the um, men's section in the, uh, in the old people's home massaging and Lily was in one of the rooms where originally there was only one guy who wanted a massage and then as she was massaging more and more guys were, um, you know, getting excited and wanting a massage so she ended up being in that room for a while and I was out in the courtyard and the queue was a queue that was getting longer and longer of, of guys waiting for massage and I was kind of aware of the time 
And I was really, I was like, the question was, what would be the generous thing to do right now? Do I just kind of stay with each individual and give them a really long, thorough uh, massage and kind of disregard the time, you know, really be with each person? Or do I kind of do a fast forward thing, you know, kind of fast rub, rub down of oiling, <laughs> you know, oiling and just a gentle, quick rub of, of all the you know, all the limbs and then move on quickly to the next person so that as many people as possible get some contact and some attention. And there's no, you know, there's no definite answer. Yeah? There's no definite answer. Both would be generous. It's about feeling in the moment, okay, what is right right now and what would help me to stay connected and present you know, so I'm not just going, no, 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 not there, already on the next person, as if they're just things and I'm a machine, but actually staying present, staying connected. And that was the, kind of, that was the thread of generosity that felt the most important, not how I'm going to do it. So, how we give, yeah, how we give, is as important as what? So it's not just about giving a massage, if I stay with that example. It's about how I give the massage. You know, how do I stay present? How do I stay connected? How do I stay um, respectful? How do I see the person in front of me? You know, so that, and that is, um, is so important. You know, not just the what. The how. The how. And in Dharma teachings, you know, there's very clear teachings about it and a clear encouragement to give with respect. It's really important to give with respect, to look the other person in the eye. So the giving isn't about I'm here and you're there. The giving is an act of respect. It's an acknowledgement of our shared experience, you know, if we're talking about material things, the fact that I have and you don't doesn't make me better. It's a sharing of what is actually ours. Actually ours. I remember talking with my mother about the refugee crisis in the world and my mother saying to me, isn't it strange that because we were born in a situation of privilege, there's that sense of this is mine and you don't deserve it. And of course there's issues and of course there's problems. But just that, that being the kind of underlying assumption, you know, for whatever reason, I was born here and you were born there. We did nothing to make that happen. I just happened to be born here and you were born there. And yet that makes this mine and not yours. Really interesting, you know, when we see that in ourselves, seeing that, you know, it's a human tendency. And it's one of the, the kind of ingrained human tendencies that Dharma practice, that our practice really is working to change. You know, it's working to transform because it's not true. You know, when we look at it realistically, we see it's not true. It's not mine more than it is yours. It's not, but I just happen to have it. <laughs> you know, I just happen to have it. So then what do I do with it? What do I do with it? So seeing, listening, prioritizing that respect and the deep seeing that can come with it. helps us to let go and generosity is very much about letting go. You know, if I was just giving this example of looking at the situation in the world, the place of privilege that all of us sitting here are in to varying degrees, and really encourage us with kindness and gentleness and wisdom and patience and honesty to look and to let go. To let go of what? To let go of clinging and grasping. To let go of that which creates suffering. Of 
for ourselves and for others. That's, that's, you know, where generosity can take us all the way. You know, if we're talking, I said in the beginning, cultivation as a practice, each of these qualities and attitudes as a practice, they can take us all the way because they carry each other and they carry us. Generosity carries wisdom, carries clear seeing, carries patience, carries equanimity. And they lead us to this place of non-clinging, of letting go of that which produces and enhances suffering in the world. And doing that both in the short term and the long term, it's, this is really um, maybe one of the things I love about Dharma practice the most, is that it's applicable in the short term, in the here and now, and it's applicable in the long term. You know, so we don't go from, you know, imperfect to perfect in a moment. <laughs> or from imperfect to accepting imperfection <laughs> in a moment. But we can apply right here and now. We can bring more ease, more joy, less clinging. And that same process creates a momentum and leads us on and on. And I kind of had a lot of little examples from these last days that I kind of want to want to throw out here, you know. Um, one of the previous days, I don't know which one, um, everyone was really tired after working with the children. And Nathan was saying, okay, you know, who's got energy to come and do the drums with me? And everyone was really exhausted and, and no one had energy. And so Nathan and I think Lily in the end went with him. They went and, and, and took the drums to the girls. And when Lily came back, she said something to me, which I'm probably, you know, it's stuck in my mind, but not accurately. But it was something like, you know, we went without energy and we got energized, you know. And that sense of sometimes, you know, with generosity, that's what it does, you know. We feel the limit. And I'm not saying this as you always need to do that. You always need to push. That's not what I'm saying. But just that experience of sometimes, can I go beyond? And then what happens? through that, bringing that joy. You know, we gave joy and we received joy. You know, what happens in that moment? That generosity to others, which becomes a generosity to myself, because there's no separation. Because there's no separation. And so this is really interesting, and it's a real reason to pay attention, you know, to this practice, to pay attention to this quality that blurring of the boundaries that I spoke of before, of giver and receiver, which, when I spoke about it initially, happens when there's a flow, when there's a natural flow and it's effortless. But as we become more skillful with intentional generosity, at times when it's not so effortless, and we become more skillful with the ability to apply it, what would, you know, I'm feeling at my limit, Looking at that, what could help me here? What could support me here? Is there anything that could to do a little bit more? As we become more skillful with that, then that sense of no giver, no receiver, that joy that flows through, is accessible also in a practice that seemingly takes a bit more effort, a bit more determination, a bit more energy, a bit more enthusiasm, a bit more resolve. And so this blurring of the boundaries of giver and receiver, it's really, really important. Really, really important. And as I was saying before, and people have expressed here in the group, that blurring of the boundaries, you know, oh, I receive as much as I give, or I receive more than I give, yeah? We also all have had those moments, you know, what am I doing? You know, I'm going, I'm rubbing a bit of oil on, I'm making terrible plaits, people's hair, you know, I'm doing a terrible job, even after, you know, 10 years of doing it, I still don't do them well. And yet, you know, I get so much love and appreciation, you know, in return. So, you know, what am I doing? I'm just, I'm just selfish. You know, I'm just doing it for myself and that voice. And seeing that voice too, as just of you, just a voice, it's not 
that too isn't real. There's no giver and no receiver. What does that mean? Yeah, where is the selfishness? So can we hold that experience of interconnection without, as I was saying before, but I want to highlight it, without playing down our participation, the importance of our participation. We could be doing a lot of other things with our time and energy. We could be doing a lot of other things that could be more pleasant and more easy than being here. So not downplaying our participation, allowing ourselves to also feel our own generosity and and that willingness and that um, energy that we're bringing into the process. And this is, again, it's a really interesting game, a really interesting practice to feel that, you know, letting myself feel the worth of my actions, the worth of my intentions, the impact that they can have. Remembering that as we do that, with the intention to nourish the beneficial in ourselves, to nourish the wholesome in ourselves. And as we're doing that, to nourish that in the world, not separate. You know, the more generous I am, the more I feel the value of generosity, the more generous I am. In that respect, we're very, very simple creatures. The more I feel the benefit, benefit of generosity, the more generous I will be. Yeah? The, the kind of more wholesome the world is going to be. So really feeling that, acknowledging that. It's like the image that was coming into me was like letting the sunshine in. <laughs> you know, we, we, we have this tendency to, to not let the positive things about our own actions and our own qualities in. We just need to close off. So letting the sunshine in, letting the beauty and letting the beauty of our own generosity be seen. It's a real resource. So hopefully one last thing. I know you're tired. I can see it. (laughs) I can also feel it, but I probably got more rest than you did today. So one last thing. So another kind of beautiful thing that someone said to me, I think also yesterday, um, someone said to me, you know, um, it was two people who were having a conversation at a mealtime, and they turned to me and said, you know, we were just asking each other, did you have a good day? Uh, I can't remember if it was, did you have a good day or did you have a good morning? Um, and, and we realized how difficult it is to say that here. Did I have a good day? Didn't I have a good day? You know, like everything is so full on, you know, the, the experiences are so complex, there's so much going on, you know, one moment there's this beautiful sense of ease and spaciousness and wideness and joy, and then the next moment, you know, just feel yourself closing down and everything is too much, and, you know, it's so complex, it's so complex. And I thought, yeah, that's such a great thing to say, you know? so, so how do we hold that complexity? What we're seeing here isn't different. You know, isn't different to how our lives always are. It's just more intense. So we see it much more intensely. The complexity. It's complex. It's not just one thing. And so an act of generosity can be, it can be two, at least two practices of generosity here. One is to see that complexity in myself is an act of generosity. Or in my experience, it's an act of generosity. It's not just this. It's also this, it's also this, it's also this, it's also this. It's all happening to see that in someone else, you know, what, a sen- what an act of generosity that is. Oh, that person that really pushes my buttons in the group. Can I see the complexity? You know, can I also see this about them, and this about them, and this about them? You know, that's an act of generosity. 
seeing the complexity in situations. You know, someone, I was just reading the, um, oh, I forgot to mention about that. Damn, okay, promotion break. So you may have, you may have not noticed yet on our ever busy full-on notice board, um, we put up a notice um, for a discussion, a Dharma discussion that will um, happen on Friday. Um, which is to, the idea is to, um, for anyone in the group to write up themes that you'd like to explore about our experience here. And then Nathan, a wonderful um, Dharma discussion facilitator, will then facilitate a group discussion on those themes. And he's very good at putting together different themes that people bring up. So it's not about practical things. The practical meeting is also on Friday. That will be earlier. But this is about Dharma things, questions that are coming up. And I just remembered it, thank God, because of the act of generosity of someone here who wrote a theme. And the theme was the ending of the honeymoon period in Anandawan or something like that. You know, which is where we are now. We've been here for 10 days. So we've, you know, in the beginning, maybe what we saw was, you know, the wonderful things. Ah, it's this place full of love. Everything's so great. Everything's so wonderful. You know, people are always smiling. And then now we start to see, or maybe we have from the beginning, but I think generally we begin to see the things that are less honeymoon, the imperfections, the difficulties, the injustice. You know, all these other aspects of the experience, we're beginning to see that. So bringing generosity also to how we see situations. Not jumping to conclusions, not getting stuck in one view. Not abandoning views, but seeing, can I look at this in a wider way? Can I include as much as possible in the, in, the, in the picture? And since it's up on the board, we'll be discussing that more on Friday. The promotion. But really seeing that, you know, reflecting on complexity as an act of generosity. Myself, other people, situations both immediate and in the world. Less fragmented. Less fragmented. And another practice that we can bring in, another aspect of generosity practice, I said there were two, the last two, that we can bring in to seeing the complexity of our own experience, is in that situation where someone's asking me, did you have a good day? And all these images are coming up. And I, did I have a good day or not? And often what will come up is the sense of uh, what I didn't do right or where I was really limited or where I messed up um, or where I could have done something better. Those moments, practice, looking through the lens of generosity. Where was my generosity today? What did I do that was generous? How did gen generosity come through me? Not as a way of building up the ego, but as a practice that really helps balance our being, really helps balance our being, helps calm and soothe the system, and resources us, really nourishes us. And when the Buddha was asked, and you may have heard me say this before as well, why he would start his teachings, with speaking about generosity, he used to say that it, it um, encouraging people to reflect on generosity, and particularly their own generosity, really helps to calm the mind. And he also um, suggested it as a meditation technique. So if you have a very restless mind, very agitated, reflect on your own generosity and your own um, good actions, your own ethics as a way of calming the mind. Um, so try it. It's really interesting. It's very, not, um, very much not in the Western culture to do that. You know, so it's worth trying for that reason alone, um, to, to try something really different. But just what happens when I reflect on my own generosity? What actually happens there? So, yeah. I've said plenty, <coughs> and hopefully, um, hopefully left you with a lot of things to chew on, 
you know that's what I really hope you know isn't um, these you know talks always but particularly in the situation we're in it's not about this is the truth hear it memorize it write it down follow it you know that's the message it's really about chewing it you know chewing it digesting it reflecting on it seeing how it um, how it relates to you and how it can be applied by you to your life, to your actions. So let's have a, just a, a, a quiet moment to, uh, to bring this to a close. So may our practice here be a a continuation of deepening and cultivating qualities and attitudes that nourish our heart, mind and being. May acts of generosity continue to flow through us and spread like wildflowers through this world that we share. So thank you for listening so generously to my gravelly voice, which you may have noticed has improved. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Enjoy the silence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.